Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Join Josh and Chuck, the guys who bring you stuff you should know, as they take a trip around the world to help you get smarter in a topsy-turvy economy. Check out the all-new Super Stuff Guide to the Economy from HowStuffWorks.com, available now exclusively on iTunes. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette. I'm an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com, and sitting next to me, as always, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Well, howdy. Well, then. <laughs> I figured this was going to be another U.S.-centric, so I thought I'd go with the, the U.S.-centric kind of howdy. Yeah, you know, a lot of times we, we are very careful to try to remember, and we don't always remember, but we try to remember that um, there are other countries in the world other than the United States it's, as far as what we talk about. And because, it's hard to do because as, as American citizens, we're often told to ignore the fact that there are countries besides the United States. <laughs> That and that, you know, when you've lived here your entire life, that's your point of reference. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's understandable that, that we might fail in that regard. But, um, you know, one of the things that's, that's very hard to, uh, not notice when you're a fan of different technology blogs is that other countries get a lot of cool stuff 
and we here in the United States may get it later or even not at all. And yeah. that can be really frustrating. It sure can, especially if you're a big fan of uh, of pro wrestling video games, because gosh darn it, Japan gets all the good ones. <laughs> you know, I, I really wanted that uh, EA Australian Rules football game because it always looks so cool when they were playing on ESPN. Yeah. And you can't get it here. Yeah, there's actually a, there's a whole host of different kinds of technologies that – you know, we'll see on, you know, you, you can turn on a technology program on television or read a blog and you think, wow, that sounds really, really cool. And then you get to the end of it and it says there's, there are no plans to bring it to the United States at this time. That seems to happen a lot. And I mean, smartphones are a good example, right? Sure. Smartphones, we're it's talking really about quintessential example, yeah, really, when you think about yeah, it. Yeah. Cause you know, smartphones, uh, huge in Japan, huge in Europe. Uh, took a really long time to start getting a grip on the consumer market in the United States. And, uh, I would argue if it weren't for the iPhone, we would still see that. I don't, I, and there are a lot of people that are on your side in that case. Well, yeah, because the iPhone really was like the, the perfect entry model for a smartphone into the consumer market in the U.S. It's beautiful, very stylish, has a lot of, uh, uh, you know, it makes, it, it looks really easy to use as opposed to a lot of the smartphones where people are just like, wow, those are a lot of buttons. Um, and there are a lot of functions here and a lot of menus. And I just don't know if I can navigate. All I want to do is be able to make a phone call, maybe surf the internet. Right. Um, and then they get the iPhone, which makes everything really easy. And then they're like, oh, wow, I can I can do all sorts of stuff beyond just calling and surfing the net. I can do this, 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 and this. And it's all easy because there's just a simple little icon I push and the device does it all for me. Well, in the U.S., you know, it just – that was the thing is that these, these consumer smartphones just didn't really happen. I mean the smartphones that you saw were pretty much meant for executives and early adopters. Yep. So you had like the tech geeks, like such as myself, who would go out and try out a new smartphone. And you had the executives who had to be attached at the hip to their office at all times. And everyone else just kind of dealt with their regular phone. Right. Meanwhile, in Europe, you have people working on a 3G network on a smartphone and doing all these cool things that, you know, the average U.S. cell phone uh, consumer just didn't even know could happen. (laughs) They, They weren't even aware of it. So that's that's probably the quintessential example. We can kind of go into why that is. Um, actually, that's kind of what we really want to talk about. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, if you want to talk about the iPhone, um, Dave Taylor actually thinks the iPhone is where it all changed yeah. for the United States. Because um, those of you who are Apple uh, followers, maybe not uh, well, you know, fans so much as people who, who can't even stand Apple, both pay a lot of attention to the company. Um, well, you know, Steve Jobs is sort of a, uh, shall we say, domineering factor in the marketplace. Hmm. Well, you know, when they took the iPhone to different providers, uh, Apple started making demands that nobody else was making. They wanted things like revenue sharing, which is, you know, oh, my gosh, what are you kidding? Mm-hmm. Apparently, American cell phone companies are, you know, they're set in patterns. This is the way we do things here, you know. You, if you're going to sell your handset through us, you got to do these three things, you know. And, sure. uh, Apple apparently said, Hey, you know what? If you want this cool phone, you're going to play our game too. And so AT&T was the one that worked out an agreement with them that both parties could abide by and stick to. And, um, it's a game changer. Other, other companies couldn't get their cool phones in the market because 
the providers just didn't want to bend on any of those rules, and they wanted a, a different kind of uh, financial model. And a lot of this has to do with <clears throat> the government's role in business. Uh, in the United States, in general, it's considered a bad thing if the government gets involved in your business. Well, it's a consumer economy. Right. It's, uh, you know, businesses competing with other businesses is a good thing. Right. It drives and, and innovation, the, et cetera, And the et ideal, of course, is that it's going to be a free market. I mean, of course, it's not a free market, but that's the ideal, uh, that, uh, you know, the, Everything is pretty much dictated by the, the companies and it's all supply and demand and that kind of thing. Right. And so if there's a demand for something, a company will supply it because that's a way to make profit. And then other companies follow suit because they can't be left out of the game. Mm-hmm. It's just that that's not really how it always plays out. Sometimes companies are like, wow, that's a huge investment for us to do that. Yeah. Let's not do that and let someone else take the plunge and we will hold off doing it until we absolutely have to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have other nations like uh, like Sweden or, or Japan where you have governments that are encouraging companies to build out infrastructures so that the citizens will have the benefit of that te- technology. Um, and they take a very hands-on approach, Japan in particular, uh, where you could argue that, okay, well, this, this definitely is, is good for the Japanese consumer, but it may not be the best thing for the business. It's definitely much more, um, well, like I said, hands-on. I mean, there, some people might even use the word interference uh, sure. based upon what we're talking about here. And your point of view. Yeah. You know, I guess it all depends on what side of the desk you're, you're on at the sure. time, right? right. So in, in these co- countries, you've got uh, companies that are, are uh, you know, you've got these efforts, I guess I should say, not just companies, but these, these technological efforts that are subsidized by the government. Mm-hmm. So these are things that are sponsored by Tax dollars, citizens are paying taxes and the government's using that money to help build out infrastructures and support technology. And, you know, you even have government uh, programs for specific technological innovations. So you have government money pouring into the hands of these companies so that they can develop specific gadgets and technologies. Mm-hmm. That's what that's bottom line. Uh, why a lot of these these countries are are building out their uh, technological framework faster than the United States is, because we don't do that. Okay, you want to talk you want to talk about a, a technology that I think is exemplifies that. Okay, and that's uh that's the internet. Yeah, good the, uh, good example. Okay, thank internet, you. which began in the United States of America. Yeah, so it was part of a defense initiative, as yeah. a matter of fact, to uh, help communications along should the telephone network go down. Yes, the grandfather, I guess you could say, or at least the father of the internet is uh, ARPANET, which was part of uh, the you know good old DARPA's uh, uh, initiatives. And yeah, the idea there was you would you had all these these centers of information, these big computing centers. Uh, we're talking about supercomputers here that had no connection with one another. And let's say someone manages to sabotage one of those devices. Well, then you lose all the information that's there. There's yep. no, it's all centralized in a specific, you know, place. So they wanted to come up with a way to spread that information between different machines so that if you were to take out one, you wouldn't lose the functionality. You'd have other, uh, computers that are still up and are able to communicate with one another. So no one link would bring down the entire chain. That's right. And, you know, being the country that originated 
the internet. You would imagine that uh, the United States would have the fastest and more robust network. Oh boy, would you be wrong. Absolutely. Um, in fact, I was looking at some, some information that I found on speedmatters.org, which is um, done by the Communications Workers of America, and they do a report every year on, uh, on broadband access. Thing is, um, in 2008, the median speed that, of uh, broadband access in America was 2.3 megabits per second. Uh, meanwhile, the median speed in Japan was um, 63 megabits per second. Wow. But, um, South Korea is 49 megabits per second. Finland is 21. France is 17 megabits per second. And Canada, Canada was 7.6 megabits per second. Eh? And they're just, uh, you know, just next door. Yeah. So the thing is, um, you know, all these countries, uh, there, there are a number of reasons for this, but I think part of that is that, uh, the governments in, in a lot of these countries is, are actually pitching in. They're, they're taking an active role in the development of the internet. Um, plus, uh, you know, my personal opinion, I didn't read this on the site. I think it helps to be a smaller country geographically. Yeah. We have an awful lot of ter- territory to cover with broadband network. Right. And, um, when you're that's, about, that's tricky. Too. When you're talking about laying cable down, yeah. you know, uh, that's when you're looking at, and, and you're looking difficult. at a nation as large as the United States with, with such a diverse geography, you know, we've got all these different kinds of environments. I mean, we've got, you know, everything from, you know, snow-capped mountains to deserts and and everything in between. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's not easy to to make sure that everyone is connected and has a really fast connection. It's just it's a monumental task. Um. So that is part of it. Another part of it, of course, is the whole government thing. That, like we pointed out. Um. I should also take this opportunity to say, uh, Australia. I totally understand that you guys have it. Harder than we do. Um, please don't write to me. I totally already know. So, uh, I, I know that a lot of Australians, when they hear us complain, think that it's all sour grapes. Um, but, you know. It's just some sour grapes. Yeah. It's not all sour grapes. No, it's not a whole case. Yeah. Maybe, you know, a six pack of sour grapes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of factors that are involved with that. And part of that is the free market. You know, the government sure. wants to stay out of, uh, you know, Organizing and man- mandating that we have faster broadband speeds, but in some places there's only one or two broadband providers, at least of any size and reliability, and those are factors that people consider when they they purchase broadband internet speeds. Yeah, that that gets really rough. I mean, like uh, I don't know about you, I don't have a whole lot of choices for my internet connection. No, um, no. I either I go with. Uh, one major company, I won't say its name, a ca- or a cable company, a cable company, or I pretty much go without, uh, <laughs> unless I go with a very small independent kind of ISP. Yeah, there are um, DSL operators in the areas where we live, but um, it's, there's even, a major phone company no, that that offers DSL, and then a bunch of smaller companies. But the thing yeah. is, those are your options, or satellite broadband. It's not we don't have a lot of fiber to the home. Uh, here in Georgia, we don't have, or at least not where we live in Georgia. Right. Um, I think there are actually fiber to the home, uh, efforts in, in some places. And actually, um, looking at the maps on speedmatters.org, some of the rural areas or maybe smaller cities have a lot better broadband penetration than some of the big, big cities. I think that's because, again, geographic area and maybe Easier local government, yeah. uh, involvement sure, too. Sure. Um, anyway, uh, you know, I found an article on, uh, Gizmodo. Mm hmm. Uh, talking about technologies that took off in other places, but not in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually uh, done March 3rd of this year uh, by John Herman. 
And uh, one of them is one that you're very familiar with. Yeah. Laser discs. Laser discs. You know, they, they, they just stopped making those. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. now. And I thought of that as like, a technology like that was five minutes ago. <laughs> in the 70s and, and early 80s. Oh, no, but, no, uh, no, 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 no. But yeah, see, this is, again, me being sort of involved in my own environment and not looking worldwide. In right. Japan, they're huge. Yeah. There's Actually, a, there's they're, a robust they're not market for secondhand. Big. I mean, well, they're about the size of a record. Stop it. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, they, uh, during the heyday, uh, he, he said they were, you know, 500% more popular there yeah. than they were here. And part of that was because of the quality and, um, you know, part of it because they were just cheaper in Japan. Here, here's another interesting thing I read. Um, I had read that Japan tends to take in a lot of, uh, you know, technology information. Mm -hmm. So let's say that uh, a company here in the United States develops a new technique to build um, uh, microprocessors and publishes a white paper on it. Uh, Japanese firms will be very quick to jump on that and, and, and analyze it and, you know, find the best ways of incorporating whatever they can into their own methods. But they don't tend to export their knowledge. Ah, uh, it's funny you would say that. Oh, yeah? Oh, I have a whole section on Japan. Yeah, I found this right right as I was finishing up doing my research for the podcast. Okay. I, I happened across an article by Jeff Yang uh -huh. at uh, sfgate.com, okay. which is the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, and he did it, a whole article about the culture behind this. And I was looking at the technology before about specific things like the laser disc or cell phones. Um, but he actually gets behind the culture. And the culture is a big part of that. Mm -hmm. And you're right. They, uh, they tend to keep their technology at home, their best and coolest technology. And part of that is because they like, uh, in, in Japanese culture, they, they prize stuff that's, uh, elite. They, mm -hmm. they want to look cool and they want to be the ones who have the most innovative features. Um, and especially with kids, like the teen markets are huge. Yeah. Absolutely huge. And, and you'd think that that wouldn't matter so much. But the youth market in Japan is uh, drives a lot of the market, right? And and this was something else I I had seen elsewhere, not not in that particular article, but I had seen sort of the the cultural difference. Like for example, in America, you may encounter someone who has the opinion of this device is good enough for what I want it to do. It doesn't cost a lot, so I'm going to get this model. Yeah. Whereas in Japan, it'd be this model is the sleekest, sexiest, coolest version of this particular device. That's the one I want. Yes. Plus, it's got all the features. Right. Which is going to make me look cooler. Yeah. So and, it's, a, it's uh, a status thing as oh, well. Yeah. I mean, it's just a cultural differences. Not not to, you know, boil it all the way down to status. It's definitely not just status, but that's an element. No. Yeah. That that's a part of it. And and a lot of people want to be bleeding edge yeah, consumers. In sure. fact, people upgrade according to Yang's article. People upgrade their tech uh, yearly, or even more than that. Sometimes every six months, wow. they'll go out and get the newest, coolest cell phone. And so they're starting to sound like tech journalists. Well, that's true. Because, you know, if you guys are tech heads or you know some tech heads, you know, those are the people who go out and they have to have the absolute best version of whatever it is that just came out. That's mm -hmm. the kind of mentality we're talking about, except that in our culture, that's sort of a minority. And in Japanese culture, it's the opposite. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, talking about the cell phone thing, there's a... Uh Actually, young women are driving a lot of that, and uh, it's it's a culture called Keitai, which is basically, um, you know, culture around the cell phone. 
sending pictures and doing things with your cell phone. Um, there's, there's a whole group called the, uh, pardon me if I mangle this, uh, Oyayu Bisoku, thumb tribes. They're known for <laughs> repetitive stress injuries from texting. And, um, wow. I mean, it's, it's affected public health, sexual mores, media consumption, even impulse buying, because here's another technology that's not here. Um, the ability to pay with your cell phone. Buying something from a vending machine because you have the RFID chip embedded in your cell phone with your credit information on it. That's popular in Japan, but because of, you know, legal ramifications and the marketing telling people that Americans just don't want it, we don't have it here. Yeah, that and the, we, we actually talked about that in an earlier podcast. And as we pointed out then, another big barrier again is that when you're talking about rolling out that technology, there are an awful lot of different uh, pieces that have to come together for that to work. You have right. to have the, the support from the handsets. You have to have the support from the cashier. Like as soon as, you know, the, each cash register needs to have a device that is capable of reading that information. Um, and of course the tracking information. There's lots and lots of different pieces and it is possible to do it in a very secure way, but it, uh, it would cost money to roll that out. Mm-hmm. And, um, a lot of businesses and, and banks in the United States are not willing to make that initial investment. Um, so we're, you know, we're not likely to see it anytime soon. Uh, I guess we can spend, if you don't mind, we can talk a little bit about how this might, you know, we might have some attitudes change in the United States over the next few years. All right. Because now we have a, a CTO and a CIO. That's true. Um, That's the, true. In the first cabinet. time. For the first time, first time, yeah. So these two guys, they're working very hard on trying to, uh, to shape public policy about technology. And everything from being able to share information about what the government is doing, so to make it more transparent to the average citizen, uh, United States citizen, to figuring out, you know, how can we promote innovation? Uh, how can we reward innovation? Um, so we might see over the next few years some policies that more closely resemble those of our friends overseas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but that's something, you know, we're, we just don't know yet. And nothing, nothing has really been set in motion yet, but it's early days. So yeah. And that's the kind of thing that's going to take a very long time for it to, yeah, uh, more than an administration, going. I would imagine, just because, you know, you're talking about such an enormous scale here. Yeah. So, but, you know, there, we, there's reasons to be optimistic. Yep. Um, and you know, I think it helps too if, uh, you know, there's one thing to be said for market forces, and then there's another thing to be said for geographical uh, flexibility as far as what, how much you can physically do and how sure. much people can afford to do. But, um, you know, marketing is part of that. So if you're one of those people that really is drooling over that gadget that they're releasing in Europe but they don't have here, um, you know, you can always contact the company. Let them know. Sure. You know, it, it never hurts. If they, if they find out that people really do want that stuff here – then, uh, you know, if, if enough people want it and it's worth their while, maybe they'll do it. Yep. Of course, then again, maybe it runs on a frequency like, uh, you know, that doesn't work here. Like yeah. one of the things that uh, another one of those technologies from the Gizmodo article, uh, mobile TV, people in other countries, Brazil, Japan, South Korea, again, Southeast Asia, um, they carry around portable TVs and they run on UHF, you know, digital TVs. No, you just don't see it here. Of course, part of the frequency that they use for those is covered up by existing TV stations here or used by the military. So that part of the radio spectrum, that would be kind of difficult for them to use. For a boat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm tapped out. Yeah. That was, that was good. Excellent. Well, I guess that just means that we're now down to, 
listener mail. Alrighty then. Today's listener mail comes from Connor, uh, who's from Manchester, the UK. So, <clears throat> Connor, forgive me. Hi, I often hear you talk about Max, so I thought one of you might also be one of Steve Jobs' faithful, and you might have an answer to my question. I find myself having to use XP on Bootcamp less and less, as more and more programs and games come with Max support. So I thought this growing support must mean a growing demand for it. How many Macs are out there as a percentage of all users? I believe they call it market share. I heard 15%, but I don't believe it's that high. Love the show. Keep them coming. Connor. I know that wasn't a Manchester accent, but I couldn't resist. You know, we just lost a listener. Maybe several. Yeah, well, you know, we probably gain, gained the people who like fake English accents right. from, from Southern tech journalists. Yeah. Um, Connor, uh, yeah, that's, uh, it is called market share. You're right. Uh, 15% is high. In fact, it's too high. Yeah. It's, it's not 15% yet. But it has been growing over the last couple of years. And there are a, a couple different ways you can look at market share. Um, one common way is to look at uh, what percentage of operating systems are out there on the market. So you're not necessarily looking at machines. You're looking at OSs. Uh, according to Net Applications, they did a, a report back in January 2009. They found that the Mac OS X uh, accounts for about 9.93% of the OS market. Well, there you have it. And then market, uh, they actually looked at, uh, sales, sales figures as well. And, uh, that ranged between, um, seven and eight percent. So we're looking at around a, really it's about a 10% market share when you really get down to it. Cause you have to look at, you know, older versions of the OS and things of that nature. So about 10% of the PC market out there, the com- personal computer market, I should say, not just PC, but the personal computer market out there, you could say belongs to Mac. Uh, and of course, there, there are some things to keep in mind with regard to that. Um, one of those is that, uh, you know, you're contributing to the PC share there, Connor, because you have XP running on your Mac. So when you're running XP on your Mac, it's not a Mac anymore. It's a PC, sort of. Yeah. Um, so of. so if you're looking into the stats on OSs, when you go, I don't know how you use your Mac with XP, maybe you're surfing the web, then it's registering as a Windows machine. Right. You know, which it is temporarily. Um, so that's part of it too. And 10% might seem tiny, but considering how low Mac was a few years ago, um, it's, it's actually quite substantial. You have to remember that each percentage point represents millions of users. Yep. So, so going back to my earlier point from the earlier discussion, um, part of this is, is, uh, marketing driven, I think. I think a lot more developers are comfortable with the direction of the company based on Steve Jobs' leadership. Sure. And, uh, how strong it's done with non-Mac things, like the iPhone and iPods. I would say that the iPhone and the iPod managed to bring so much more attention to Apple and Apple products. People were so blown away by the iPod and the, and the iPhone that they said, Hey, you know, I really like these devices. How about I look into the actual computers these guys make? You know, they may not have ever thought of it before. And I think that really did, uh, add to a boost to their sales. Uh, that's called the halo effect and it has absolutely nothing to do with Bungie studios, right? Nor the Xbox, yeah. but, <laughs> but, uh, it, it is, it is called the halo effect because it surrounds the other products by that manufacturer and it has, uh, you know, I have read articles that, that suggest that that is in- exactly what's going on, that the iPod and iPhone have a halo effect and are bringing the Mac market share. 
So uh, that was a good question, Connor. Thank you very much. If any of you have any questions for us, you can write us text stuff at howstuffworks.com. And if you want to learn more about uh, everything that we've been talking about, including cell phones, smartphones, uh, the Internet, wiring, that sort of thing, you can find all that at HowStuffWorks.com. We will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.